crazy beautiful souls welcome to what i didn't tell my therapist my name is leela davis and i'm a creative wellness coach and i am jude gorini an intuitive coach and we have a special guest today kelsey elizabeth myers kelsey is a professional writer artist a register somatic movement educator and the owner of biological persona healing art and during this episode we go through many aspects of how she grow her own business but also about her experience living uh, through racism and healing reiki and many other things yes and you'll enjoy our deep conversation thanks for joining us here we go lovely kelsey elizabeth myers is a professional writer artist and registered somatic movement educator with the international somatic movement education and therapy association kelsey is a force for compassionate change helping create individuals find freedom from inner, inner blocks that hold them back and gives them tools to embody resources to transform their lives with soul-based expressive arts programs and courses. She brings several years of training with Tamalpa Institute in the life art process, the Academy for Soul-Based Coaching, and integrative somatic trauma therapy modalities. She shares all of her knowledge and her skills and her offerings for her business, Dialogical Persona Healing Arts. The mission of her work is to hold space for the full expression of a living, vibrant, and multifaceted self through the embodied arts. <sighs> Just holding space for that. That's such a lovely, lovely mission. and. One one question I've always had is um, dialogical persona. How how does that? How would you kind of share that deeper meaning with us? Yeah. So I was actually in a, in a philosophy class in my twenties. I read this um, Dutch uh, psychologists theory called the dialogical self theory and it um it reminded me a little bit of gestalt but um but much more heady there wasn't a whole lot of like embodied components to it it was much more just about the dialogues and the inner personalities that we all have and how we can begin to integrate them when we like write down their narratives it, it is a form of narrative therapy um, but really just allow each of those voices to kind of become characters in this dialogue that we have that becomes ourselves oops that's beautiful and one of the reasons very early on that you felt like a soul sister to me was your path, um, was your your knowledge um, of uh, and training in the creative arts and embodiment techniques in healing. Um, what life experiences or experience set you off on this path? I guess like, I mean, as far back as I can remember, I've always just been curious about um, about who I am, about how I fit into the world. I um, I was born in Busan, Korea, and I'm a transnational adoptee. So I grew up in a very rural, small, white um, town in the Midwest in Michigan. And so I didn't really, you could count the people of color, like literally on one hand, there were five of us um, in school. And, um, and so I just, I didn't see myself reflected back in, in, um, to me from ex from the external world a lot. And um, so I've just always kind of turned to books, to theories, to different um, like psychological modalities. And then it really wasn't until my early thirties when I, um, became embodied and really started conscious dancing and exploring things through the body that 
that my path kind of really became clear to me and um, and more healing and integration actually happened. How it was to be that five between the five people? Because, you know, like I'm, I'm like, I was born in Brazil and well, we are a bunch of mixed race. And then I moved to Italy and I was actually the only one in my classroom that was completely different you know there was a bunch of white people and just me how was to feel in such a rural place one of the five yeah i really um you know my parents were well known in the community so i had some a bit more like protection from say like being bullied or being made fun of so i really just became identified um as like white and thought of myself as a white person and could just kind of blend in until I went to college and people didn't know me and who my parents were. And then I really stood out and I had my first kind of racist experiences on campus and then a lot of microaggressions just within the curriculum and um, and kind of walking around on campus. So that was really, that opened me up to feeling more shame or like it wasn't, um, you know, necessarily a positive thing to be Asian or to be seen as different. So during that time, um, what sort of maybe healing or guidance would you have appreciated in, in facing those particular, you know, microaggressions, the, the bigotry that you know, was or was not available to you at the time? Yeah, it was really hard because, um, you know, I was adopted in the mid 80s and in the 80s and 90s, it was all about colorblind, you know, people were all the same, they, people didn't see differences. And so my parents were raised in that and I was kind of, you know, my peers were raised in that. So, when it happened, I, I I lost like my best friend and my relationship with my mom suffered for a while because, you know, rather than having the skills or the knowledge to um, to recognize, you know, what had happened to me and to support me through that, they were just very dismissive and defensive, even as white people, like, we're not all like that. And, you know, the things that had happened in my past that I started seeing as microaggressions, they were like, oh, but we had really good intentions and, you know, those kinds of things. So not having, like, losing basically my support system before that, I felt like I kind of lost everything and my whole life had to change. And a lot of the people that did support me, you know, their support was very helpful at the time and, you know, um, saved me from, like, committing suicide but they also weren't aware of the issues on a deeper level. So they had to learn them with me. So I didn't actually have like a guide or a mentor. The support that I had was also learning all of the race issues and sort of the complexities and nuances and the politics of it right alongside me. Well, you know that me and uh, Lila, we are, we were, we are, can I say we were or we are? Well, we are still. <laughs> we were diagnosed with bipolar disorder one, um, not in our um, teenage years or anything like this, but much more in our adulthood. I was tw at 25 and you, Lila, at which um, age? 35. 35, yeah, here we go. Uh, when, did you receive, when did you receive your diagnosis and what part has it played in how you saw yourself and in your healing? Yeah, well, my therapist still hasn't given officially given me a diagnosis, um, uh, not just for insurance purposes, but just because um, she's also not sure. Um, she goes back and forth between if, you know, she thinks that I have like, um, the borderline personality disorder or, you know, the emotional dysregulation disorder as they call it now, or, um, or borderline traits. She knows I have the traits and the tendencies, um, which is actually common for a lot of adoptees from the early life separation from their birth mother. Um, and she, she says, you know, she still goes back and forth between whether or not I actually have, you know, the diagnosis. Um, 
but I asked her about it. I think I was 34 or 35, similar to you, Leela. Um, and I brought it up in a session and she said that, you know, she, in her, you know, 30 plus years of experience that anybody who has asked generally does have, um, you know, the diagnosis just because, you know, if you are aware enough to ask, you tend to recognize yourself within those, you know, DSM characteristics or, you know, the official diagnosis. Um, and so generally, you know, that has been the case. That's interesting. I was, um, I walked in with my own diagnosis as well. <laughs> you too? Yeah, because I was studying psychology and well, while I was studying, I thought I had everything. So I was like, I have these, these and that, 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 until, um, well, my therapist said, you know, when you study this, it's normal that you're going to feel that you have everything, but it's not like this. It's just because our life are so full of experience, traumas and all of that. So it can uh, sometimes look big, but in the end, it's not in that way. And then in the end, when I was studying the bipolar disorder, I was like, oh, here we go. I think this one is the, the right one. <laughs> yeah. And it was the right one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is something because I, you know, had um, the first time I learned about borderline in my 20s, I was like, oh, that that actually really resonates with me. Um, and, you know, over the years, I, I had been diagnosed with um you know, depression and other things, but not that, um, you know, I was in therapy for a lot of the um, circumstantial depression that I had around the race um, and identity issues in my 20s. And then um, I experienced depression and after a lot of like emotional, psychological, and even like sexual abusive relationships in my early 30s, which is why I had um, gone back to therapy and started with with my current therapist and um, yeah I think it was just I was you know as, as, as we often do google searching things at night like you know 3 a.m and um, <laughs> somehow somehow was reading you know the DSM categories and how you know like you need a certain number to qualify I was like oh my god I have this many and um, <laughs> Really? Yeah. Like you look at the ACE categories, you're like, oh my goodness. Um, you had mentioned something interesting about um, the prevalence of this diagnosis with um, Korean adoptees. And I was wondering if you could kind of fill that out a little bit as to why and, and whether that's something that happens with, you know, maybe Im immigrant adoptees across the board or or yeah it's common for all adoptees domestic and international um to be either misdiagnosed or you know to have that recognized as part of um you know their their healing process because um and oftentimes with people who are split um or you know relinquished right at birth they you know are missing kind of any of that um you know, after birth bonding and um, the developing of the relationship and kind of the correct object relations with, with their birth mother. And um, the first sort of adoption psychologist specialist, Nancy Verrier called this the primal wound. She said that even, you know, if you have a very loving and attentive and, you know, nurturing adoptive mother or, um, you know, kind of second caregiver, that comes in, there is this spiritual and, um, you know, like body language, um, kind of sounding um, like attunement that just can't be replaced. And so she calls this the primal wound and having the first experience of an adoptee's life be trauma, of course, you know, um, we create all kinds of different defenses around it and, um, and think of those defenses as, as who we are, but really they're just trauma responses. And, and one that is very common with adoptees um, is splitting, which is a characteristic of, um, you know, what they used to call the borderline personality disorder. Um, 
but really anybody with trauma experiences it just to less intensity. Um, so there is something about when it is the first experience of your life that creates a lot more intensity around it because it's it's pre-consciousness, it's pre-verbal you know, verbal communication. Um, so when, you know, older children even or adults experience trauma, it's still traumatic, but there's more understanding and consciousness around it. So with adoptees, um, you're really tapping into something that has no words, that has like no um, kind of adult consciousness, that has really no understanding and it becomes very intense and like, um, so people, either the other person or the external world becomes like all bad or, you know, internally we think of ourselves as all bad and then, or we go back and forth between the two, but the intensity is, is very strong. So, um, you know, I've had to learn to um, like not continue to talk or, you know, to go into situations like that but really take time to myself or you know to kind of come back to more, a more um regulated state and settle down before I can really um see the nuances and the gray and the complexity again um and I've gotten much better at it and um I've integrated a lot of those parts so my splitting is also not as intense um but there are there are still you know moments where that happens Yes, unfortunately, life does dish up uh, moments <laughs> for reenacting our, our trauma. <laughs> While you were speaking, like, it came in my mind, because I, like, I had my mother, but in the end of the day, I was adopted by my stepfather. So, and I lived, oh, like, my stepdad, he was not an emotional person at all. He was really cold and conservative and all of that. So... Like while you were talking, I was like, well, probably everything started from there. <laughs> because, you know, definitely from my mother's side, but um, since he was the first time that I had a man in my life, I was probably suffering a lot of mental health without even knowing, you know, because there was not a good communication between us. So, uh, yeah. See, it's opening. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, I was like, um, with uh, you had shared because you never met your mom or or any of your birth fam family. Is that right? But that you made a like a mystical connection at one point to kind of like. Do you mind sharing that that experience at all? Oh yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so it's actually still rare that Korean adoptees actually do get reunited with their birth parents because of a whole lies a lot, records were lost in fires, and um, but mostly because Holt lies and actively tries to prevent them. So there's really only like 2% success rate with that. Um, so like I had just kind of thought, you know, since it, it wasn't something, you know, in my life where I felt like, oh, I really, you know, I want this for my healing, it has to happen. There's this really large hole. I actually felt, you know, very um, nurtured and filled by it, by my adoptive family and, and my parents um, and didn't really feel a need to go looking. Um, so it wasn't until um, I did this Reiki training on a whim and, um, you know, had my first attunement when, I felt like, oh my gosh, I feel like the blood lineage of this kind of tradition in my whole being. And then um, part of that training was to receive, um, I mean, you know, this was this was a great, you know, requirement, but was to receive a Reiki session from our teacher. Um, and in that session, I actually saw my birth mother. I could see her face, her shape. Um, she met me with... Um, you know, sort of my my three to five year old inner child in this this cave in my heart, um, and the three of us just kind of like um, hung out together and talked. Um, when I let her play with my inner child for a while, just watching with you know my sort of Enneagram five personality, like I don't want to I don't want to get close. I'll just see what's happening. Um, and uh, but finally, I did come over to them and. Um, and I, I had asked her some sort of like 
I don't know, kind of not very important question. And she's like, ask me the question that you really want to ask me. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and so I did ask if we would meet in this lifetime. And um, the answer I received was no, not like in the physical material world. And I could feel that whole no, like fill my body as, as truth. And I was like, wow, like I already kind of knew that. Um, and it was that confirmation but getting that clear no and being able to see her, um, her body, like, you know, her shape, what she looked like finally allowed me to grieve something real because before that it had just been this idea. Um, and I imagined her as like, you know, the cover of my science book of like DNA strands and, and molecules, which is, which is not a human being. <laughs> so, um, so it was hard to grieve something that wasn't like an actual person. Um, so that really did help with my healing process a lot. And since then, in other journeys and um, and in other, you know, Reiki attunements, I've seen uh, different members of my um, sort of biological familial um, mother line and as well as my birth mother and other circumstances. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's such the special. Wow. <laughs> wow that's amazing like never well because I don't know my biological father so now <laughs> now probably I can get to it to him but that's just amazing yeah yeah and you and you have a special program called um soul expressions um for um Korean adoptees and Korean displaced persons. Um, what what are your offerings in that program? Yeah, so in the in the Soul Expressions program, I'm I've trained in the Tamopa Institute Life Art process, and as part of my fieldwork study uh, to complete the third level of that training, um, we are asked to work uh, with a specific population and give like life art process skills and tools and work that program with them. And I just thought it was a perfect opportunity to really kind of get back into the Korean adopted community because um, in my late, well, from my early to late twenties, I was very active in the Asian American sort of political and social um, identity politics activism and um, social justice activism. But I had burned out on that and um, and um, and healed like a lot of my own kind of parts that I didn't really relate to so much of the anger until the Atlanta shooting and the recent COVID, you know, the rise in anti-Asian violence again, of course, had to bring it like really right back in front of my eyes um, and put it like at the forefront of my experiences. So it seemed like the perfect time to offer these, you know, skills of really helping to integrate psychological material through movement, writing, drawing, um, performance ritual, and um, explore it through the, through the lens of being a Korean adoptee at this current political and social moment in our history when, um, when things are really intense and we are exploring more about historical trauma and epigenetics and really looking at um, sort of different um, like mystical and energetic healing practices and kind of put them all together. Um, and uh, I mean, it's so, yeah, when I think of like all that you bring to the table and so and and I've personally worked with you, it's it's just like this magical sort of, you know, mirroring, but really supportive presence. So thank you for that. <laughs> oh, thank you. for Thank you for that. Um, that means a lot to me. And yes, that's that's also a very important part of the um, the life art process work and and the soul-based coaching that I've also trained in, both of them like mirroring and um, sort of reflection and and being a living kind of model for our clients, um, you know, within our own beings is, is a large part of the work. Um, 
On your website, you had mentioned um, in the section that's um, devoted to supporting Asian American Pacific Islander um, and members of the Asian diaspora, um, you mentioned how issues related to anti-Asian hate is pushed to the sidelines in social justice circles that you know you've been involved with. Um, why do you think that is? Why do you think, yeah? Um, well, as I mentioned, you know, that sort of like colorblind, we are all one, we are all the same mentality um, was very popular for, for a long time. And a lot of people grew up or were raised with, with that kind of thinking or like, oh, you shouldn't mention somebody's difference because it's not politically correct, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, and also in a lot of spiritual communities, there is um, like a, a natural sort of tendency to focus more on positive things than, than negative things. Um, and so a lot of times that does become when you, when you, when you make somebody uncomfortable or, you know, you're, um, you know, just because of, of race or gender or sexuality, um, rather than kind of really go into the feelings of it and really work on it, there is a tendency to just kind of bypass it or like push it under the rug um, to be more politically correct or just outright dismiss it by saying, you know, oh, but really there is no difference um, and we are all the same and we are all one, which, you know, on some levels like the spiritual level is true, you know, but in this actual like you know lived experience we're having as human beings there's there's so much um that kind of you know that gets in the way of that and, and bridging that gap by just kind of trying to to go there without actually addressing and affirming and really validating and seeing that can cause like I mean, for me, it just causes a lot of problems and and really makes me feel like I don't want to be part of these spiritual communities um, where that where that is the tendency. I um I had actually met a woman in the human design community who um, is a six three um, projector like me and was a coach and you know we had like we had started this correspondence and I posted this article about how. Um, like um just you know that that sort of that secret um kind of law of attraction thinking can cause spiritual bypassing especially in terms of um race and people who are not white and um she had studied the law of attraction and she was so offended she like blasted me on the article on facebook and then like defriended me and oh my God. whatever and i was like but this is exactly what the article was saying you know that yeah. that that people get so into their law of attraction that that's all they see and they can't see how other people, you know, might be negatively impacted by some of those beliefs um, because they are very bypassing and like devaluing of our experiences in, in, in this world. Yeah, it really is. Um, the whole law of attraction works just fine for people <laughs> that are already doing really well in life. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, oh, well, I, it's almost like the, I think like of the, uh, the sort of Christian wealth theology, where they're like, you know, I'm wealthy because God wants me to be wealthy. And it's like, you know, you're attracting wealth and abundance because you have this, these high vibes. Well, I mean, really? Is that how it works? <laughs> I mean, to a certain degree, but. Yeah. But it's also like, um, and I don't know if it's your experience as well, Kelsey, um, but, uh, well, at least here in Europe, um, Normally, people that does holistic stuff, they are just, sorry about that, Lila, a bunch of white people. <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of white people. So when you are, uh, it, and then it's so weird, because then if you think about all the holistic world comes from the other part, it's not even from the Western. Um, do, do you think that it's difficult to just come out and create your uh, protection, um, how do you say protectioner? Yeah, uh, <laughs> your, your business, practitioner. Uh, your protectioner and all of that. 
when you have a bunch of sorry again, Lila, uh, white people. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, you know. Can't be avoided. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the sorry. white gorilla in the room. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I think you know where I am in the San Francisco Bay Area, there are more um like people of color practitioners and holistic healers. But, um, but yes, I mean, there are still a lot of white people, you know, my, um, my Reiki teacher actually is, is white. And, you know, there is a time in my life in my 20s when I was super, you know, social justice that I would have had a problem with that. But, um, but I don't because, you know, she she's very ethical and very like honoring in her practices. And she's, she's a great person. Um, and she really, you know, is a great healer. She's um, also my somatic experiencing practitioner. And so, I mean, I've experienced a lot of healing directly from her. And yeah, in my 20s, I did write a lot of articles about how, oh my God, like all of the, the love and support and healing I receive is from white people. And why is that? And sure, there is like, you know, there is that political side to it. And now that I'm older and, you know, have more of that integration, I'm like, and, you know, when you find people that are healers and that are people, you know, that are right for you, then there is a sense that, you know, that, that, you know, race doesn't necessarily have to be the forefront of that when it's a healthy, you know, and positive and really positive relationship. Um, but there is something to be said for seeing, again, seeing yourself reflected back in the people that are your mentors and that are, you know, your healers. And what I'm hearing from the Korean adoptees in my soul expressions group this first time around is that for many of them, it's the first time they've had like, um, you know, a teacher or a practitioner or somebody in that role who, who does look like them and, um, and how meaningful that is for them because they've never had it before. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so important to have role models. I mean, even, you know, even as a white woman, you know, I'm, I'm older so that like in, in certain areas, maybe there wouldn't be a reflection of a woman, for instance, you know, or, or, um, getting the, the kind of support that one needs, um, just to feel like you're doing it right or, um, and can you, I, I hate to get so granular here, but I, the idea of colorblindness and then also the, the, um, maybe, you know, separately the, the, uh, racial kind of mythology of model minority, like a lot of people are like, why is this a problem? you know, when they're not really looking into it. I mean, with, with colorblindness, it's an erasure of identity. Um, but, um, and then with the model, uh, model minority, also a different type of erasure identity. But I was wondering if you could kind of fill that out for, for us a little bit, if you would mind. Yeah. Yeah. I think you really, um, you actually, you know, you, you mentioned it, it's that erasure of identity as well as not only um, the erasure of another person's identity, but the replacement of, of you know, the white definition of that person um, rather than the, the, their own definition of who they are that, um, that, you know, that causes pain and, and trauma because, you know, as people, we want to be authentic to ourselves and, um, and be who we are on, on our terms and having people kind of take that away and be, and have a system that basically takes that away, um, you know, really, um, you know, one of the Korean adoptees that I'm working with just feels like, this country doesn't want her and she has to be here and it's like a prison and um and that that can be how it feels it's like it's a trap it takes away a person's liberty a person's you know freedom and their basic rights to be you know to define themselves and um 
And so that, you know, that's when it becomes problematic, you know, like I said, now that I've done some more healing, when I do feel, you know, connected to people like, um, like you, or, you know, like my Reiki teacher and somatic experiencing practitioner, like, you know, there is, there is at some level, you know, we're, if we're healers, we're healers, and, you know, race doesn't necessarily need to come into that. But if people are actively, you know, using that sort of as a way to bypass or again, like erase another person's identity, that's when it can become problematic. Yeah, yeah because like, like I, in, in, in the holistic world, well, at least with people that are working in the past, there was always this thing of like, um, in my experience, like probably I'm too hippie <laughs> thinking of that. <laughs> But I don't even see the difference between an Asian, a mixed race, a white, a woman, a man. Is is for me, my mind, we are all diverse. We are all different. So we should respect each one of us. It's not even the color or the gender or whatever it is. But working in the um, with a few people in the holistic community, there was always this uh, thing of okay, um, I am. I do an example with my race. I am a Latino, so I will just do things for the Latino because uh, the the white people, the Asian, whatever it is, they don't understand, you know, how how we work in the Latino way. That yeah, culturally it can be, but at the same time, you are just blocking and you are just creating not even a positive uh, environment. You are just putting much more hate in, in, in what we are still in 2022 suffering about. Because when you mentioned about your um, the person that you work with and she's like, okay, I am here. I don't want to be here. They don't want me. There is a, a lot of hate again. Till, till today about all this crazy stuff like for me it's still like a crazy stuff every day i'm like well why we are still in this way 2022 a pandemic a war when we're we gonna change <laughs> i know they should be rolling out the red carpet for you jude in italy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know and um in so um, here in Europe, or at least in, in Italy, like being racist is fine. Like it, it, people are really racist, and um, and they and and they have this they have this sort of behavior that when you don't look like them, you are you are dumb. You are not anything anymore. You know, and um, and it can be quite difficult. Like for me, as a, as a healer and to to create and to build up something because they will look at me and say yeah but you know you are just someone that is not closer to us so i don't understand why but is this in america as well because i i i i know just a tiny less about the american culture like it's enough for the italian culture so imagine most of the american culture well america's quite large so i you know there's all sorts of different flavors of racism i mean i think we probably have every kind <laughs> every variety <laughs> yeah it's true it really depends on location i lived in nashville tennessee um and i was raised in the midwest which is very close to the south and has a lot of southern culture and kind of like the people that migrated up from the south during you know the big car kind of boom in Detroit so it's very closely aligned with the south and um but it's different you know the midwest um is is different than the south and in the south it really is very similar to what you were saying um about Italy Jude that like um you know that it really is like people notice if you're different and um and do have a different way of treating and and looking at at you and also you can't bring it up like you can't have a conversation like this in the south like everything is just swept under the rug like there's no discussion about it the racism is just that it's it's the racism and that's the culture yeah yeah be a be oppressed and like it <laughs> <laughs> um 
Well, you know, in it, and I'm thinking like from my family, there were like two two types of racism, where my everybody was from the Midwest, but that my dad's family expressed it in more of like a redneck type of way. Um, it was more overt, um, although there were friendships with people of color, you know, um, but it was, that was like a tokenism. Like that's the, that's the one family that we get along with, but like everybody else is somewhat suspect. And then on my mother's <laughs> side, it was more that intellectual, like not really seeing it, like, like understanding that you're not supposed to be racist because you went to college and you studied, you know, different cultural studies and so forth. And, but then there's that still that kind of culturally ingrained where it's not examined. And then I was just kind of like, kind of observing how my family was operating and like, you guys are fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> but still, you know, we're all swimming in that, that water. Um, know that you and Leela, you have a big interest in mythicism and occult and like astrology, human design and tarot. Uh, by the way, Leela, you need to teach me tarot <laughs> astrology as well. Oh, I'm still teaching myself. <laughs> okay, when you finish, it's my turn. <laughs> um, how have these been helpful to you personally or in, in your practice? Yeah, so... Um... I think that, you know, there, there's two kind of different branches of that. Um, and one is sort of like the Reiki, the energy healing, the sort of the shamanic um, visioning things like in sound healing, like Leela does. Um, and I do, I am a Reiki practitioner and um, I do see Reiki clients and do a lot of distance Reiki. And I also use like visions or journeys um, or different kind of focusing techniques with clients if, if, if they're open and you know that serves them to do in sessions like almost like a guided kind of journey or a guided meditation um, to check in with you know their own path or their own spirit guides. Um, and and again, I don't do that with everybody, but for people who 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 want that and who um and who that you know benefits, then I will then I do that and um and I do sometimes pull cards uh, before I do group workshops. Actually, I do always, but um it just to kind of see like you know what you know what the what the universe kind of sees as the theme for for that event. And um, so it's definitely part of my own practice. Um, my, uh, my housemate actually for Christmas got me tuning forks that are all the different chakras. Oh, wow. and, um, and so I have been, you know, playing with ways that I could kind of bring that in, but um, you know, I'm still playing with them myself. And um, so that's more like an eventual kind of thing, but, but there are just, yeah, there are so many ways that that, that can, amplify and enhance the experience for for our clients um and then in terms of like the personality theories and different um you know like human design astrology the enneagram um all of those um the myers-briggs you know i i love personality theories you know i just i find them fun and interesting they've always been sort of a pet um field that I study. Um, <laughs> and, um, and so I do, you know, some of my clients are aware of them, some of them aren't, but I always try to kind of like bring it in if, if, if they need that, that self validation that you know this, you're not doing anything wrong in your life, you're actually just being who you are. And these things, you know, come naturally to somebody, you know, with, um, with your human design or with these personality traits so like and if they're struggling too again it's like you know with this personality these these things this is how you see things and how you might respond and you know not necessarily as an excuse but just as a way of saying you know like you're not a bad person and you know it's not this like kind of self-blame or self-shame thing but something to work on because you have these personality traits or characteristics and um, that might give you a challenge in this, you know, in these kinds of situations. 
Yeah, beautifully said, because I think, yeah, these these person, personality systems or, you know, traditions, at least in the case of astrology, which is like two thousands of years old from different cultures and so forth, is just an opportunity to understand oneself in a non-judgmental kind of compassionate way, I, I see. Um, so I was curious, are there um, any particular um, traditions um, from the um, from your Korean heritage that you're curious about or exploring or would like to like edify us about the existence of that, you know, we need to like stay tuned. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I don't actually know that much about Korean culture um, mm -hmm. since, you know, I was uh, kind of cut off from it, but I do right now, one of my Tomopa Institute teachers, Doi Lee is an incredible artist um, in Oakland here and and in Korea, she's uh, from Jeju Island and she goes kind of back and forth between the two countries and um, does amazing arts and arts healing and Tomopa life art experiences, um, both like as a professional artist and as a, an expressive arts you know, educator. So um, I've been working with her on my fieldwork study and I'm hoping to kind of learn more about um, specifically, she's a Korean shaman and how that's different than like South American shamans and um, and the, you know, different cultures down there because they're all different. Um, and yeah, just kind of exploring that and, um, and so learning exciting. from her. Yeah, it's really exciting because it's it's like in you but then it's also a discovery you know like it's in your blood but at the same time it's like yeah yeah that is really really beautiful that you have that opportunity to to work with her um so let's uh jude do you have any burning questions <laughs> oh we don't hear you yeah that's better so um, no, I didn't know there was Korean like uh, Korean uh, shamanism. That is so something so like you never stop to learn. Thanks God. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't know because I knew the Russian, well, Latino, full of uh, of them. Then you have the American, but I didn't know that there was that sort of shamanism as well um, in Korea. Because like the, the the Korean culture is really beautiful, like it's completely different from, and the language is like wow because it's just sounds, <laughs> words there's just sounds and yeah, but I didn't know about the uh, Korean um, shamanism that exists. Yeah, it's it's interesting because um, I mean so many different cultures had shamanic traditions i mean even in western europe you know the different cultures like yeah. um i have a friend who's studying her sami culture roots um and just sort of yeah the the mystical and shamanic traditions that they had and i mean it's just it seems like part of our you know human uh ways of of being in the world involved um you know these traditions and this connection to like the mystic and energetic explorations so with your so you've had experience like you've had this really rich experience with i mean embodiment creative creative um, arts um reiki going into shamanic explorations um and then you've also had an experience with therapy and I'm wondering um, how like pulling from each um, what has been you know your your self-healing journey as far as like understanding like what what tools have worked from each side that that you feel were particularly powerful I know that's a huge question <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, you're not being graded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like they all have 
so much to offer and you know I pull them together in ways that have worked for me in my personal journey and then um and then really just pull them you know as you experienced in ways that feel natural and and are beneficial for my clients when I work with them you know for their journeys so I think it's actually it is a gift to be so kind of like um have such a wide range of knowledge and such breadth over different modalities and traditions and and ways of being in the world so that when working with an individual I can pull from the different things that would you know best serve that person in 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 the moment that we're working together and how would you define like if a person like on their journey, they need a therapist versus a coach. Like if there was a, a point where they, you know, I need this or that, like how, how do you define the difference? Yeah, it's, it's tough sometimes to know. Um, but if the work stopped being beneficial for the client, then um, if it wasn't serving them or if they weren't, you know, getting something out of it, then then I would think, you know, it would be time to refer them to another coach or a therapist, depending on what their specific needs are. Some people, some clients I have who who are working with therapists um, where I feel they're not ready for coaching and they don't really have enough of, um, you know, enough of their own kind of self will to, to do coaching. Um, luckily they have been working with other therapists. And even though I feel like, you know, not much is happening in the session and the feedback from them is it was great. So, I mean, if the feedback was not that it was great, but that they also felt like, you know, that just holding space wasn't enough, then, then I would say, you know, really work with a therapist or another, you know, coach. Yeah. Yeah. I think like, at least from my understanding, coaching if if you want to get things done it's it's kind of like a practical um pursuit um not not in the sense of like you're there's something broken but rather there's something i want to do and i feel like in your your experience with therapy obviously it's it's a very healing and positive um experience but have you ever had a situation where you felt like the person is you know the therapist is coming from a point of like you're broken or something needs to be fixed or anything like that have you ever had that type of experience or has it always been positive well i've been working with private therapists for one thing so i don't mm -hmm. have to deal with insurance companies or you know see only these specific people because this is what the insurance will cover or you know this is where i'm sent um so because it has been all private you know all private practitioners um there's more freedom in that you know and um so if i'm mostly you know if i don't kind of have a positive relationship with the person and we don't really work well together then I just go and, and find somebody else and it is kind of like dating I felt like you know it's just like dating you know it has to be the right chemistry it has to be the right um kind of personality fit um it really is like you know a really it is a relationship so um so you know, it took me a while to find a therapist in my 20s that I could work with. And it actually just ended up being the head of the counseling center at my college. Um, and, you know, I tried like going to all, you know, out to these private, you know, people, but I did not like them at all. And then I just happened to, you know, have a session with her. So I, so the free kind of, you know, what the school provided worked for me then. And um, then it took me a number of years out here to find a therapist, you know, that I could really work with long-term. And I also have a somatic experiencing practitioner and she was actually the first one. Um, and we just kind of worked. Um, I did have to get over some of my own kind of like judgments and challenges at first, but like, um, but I knew that, you know, it was the head screaming at me, not like what my body knew and what I actually wanted. So um, it was easier to stay with it in the beginning because I knew it was all just head stuff um, that was, um, you know, that was kind of making me doubt it or, you know, getting in the way. 
so um but really i think it, it is it's 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 like dating you know you have to just see if you have if you can if you have the money and the opportunity and the people available um kind of like you know shop around and find that right fit and luckily yeah. most of my clients have thought you know i am the right fit um <laughs> <laughs> Vote of confidence i know yeah <laughs> But I think that all my dates went bad. <laughs> like bad. I took ages to find like a good therapist. And the funny thing is that the the like my mentor, because she, she works as a therapist and a coach as well, she is Brazilian. So I was like, wow, probably I couldn't find my one because they were not from my culture. So, and with her, it was just like, boom, finally, somebody that understands the Brazilian culture and how mommy can really fuck up your mind. <laughs> I love that. But, and, and I completely agree with you. There is, it's a dating because you need to create a, a good relationship with the person in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. Have to, or, or nothing will work in the right way. Right, right. Yeah, and I really appreciate your really full answer there because I think a lot what happens is when a person is at the point that they feel they need a therapist or somebody is like telling them they need a therapist, there's this sense of not really trusting maybe their own judgment or really understanding to be in that position of, oh, this is a, this is a good person for me. This is a bad person for me. But hearing, hearing that sense of like, yeah, you are like, like being a consumer in the sense of like, or being on, it's like this, is this a good date? Is this a bad date? You know, and then, and then moving on without, because there's that sense of like, oh, this person's an authority. They know what's what I need to do. But essentially, we need to know that we're authorities of our own selves. Although that's a hard realization for many people to come to. Well, well, thank you so much for everything. Is there anything you want to share about like upcoming um, offerings or events or um, message to the to the people <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i do have i do have a chapter coming up in a multi-author book that's being released on kindle on april 8th and in paperback at some point in may called um and the chapter is called bold strokes and it's all about um my experiences in the tomobile life art process and sort of with you know finding my identity through the arts so um if people want to know more about my story and about that you can you can check that out april 8th on kindle and um in paperback in may the book is called invisible no more stepping into the spotlight so it should be it should be a fun read <laughs> and your um your uh website and instagram what are those for yeah yeah and you can find out more about me and my offerings at my website dialogicalpersona.com and i am on facebook and instagram at dialogical persona as well okay okay people <laughs> <laughs> check check kelsey out because she it's it's um and and you need to check her website maybe uh at least uh, once a month, because it's always <laughs> ever evolving and improving. <laughs> it is, it is. <laughs> I've like barely started mine and hers is like another like extravaganza. I'm like, what's it, what? <laughs> yes, in a past life, you've been this amazing uh, graphic designer. <laughs> Yeah, yeah I do. I, I tend to work on it like constantly. So there's there's always small changes and then sometimes massive overhauls. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, take note. Take <laughs> <note>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
Yeah. Great. Thank you so much for having yeah. me. Yeah. It's so wonderful to meet you, Jude, and to see you again, Leela. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you for your time and everything. So if you enjoyed our conversation with Kelsey Elizabeth Myers as much as we did, please check out our What I Didn't Tell My Therapist Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram accounts. Make also sure to go on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and leave us five big stars. And please share this episode with anyone that you know, because more we share this episode, the more this episode can arrive all over the world. Yay! So goodbye, crazy beautiful souls. Until next time. Mwah. Good. That's-